Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer. Hawks Live every Thursday from CenturyLink. I am with Paul Moyer. I am Michael Bumpus. 7 o'clock right here on 710 ESPN. And we're doing something we haven't done this year, Paul. That is talk about the Seahawks taking a loss. They lost to the Cardinals in OT. Uh, you can say what you want. Russell Wilson threw three picks, didn't have his best game, but still made a incredible throws. Lockett played well, but that was after a loss. DK didn't get the ball the way we thought he was going to get the ball. You got running backs going down. It sounded like a typical Seahawks loss. You got all you got injuries, and you have Russell not playing well. Yeah, up by ten with six minutes left in the game, and you know some people say, well, there was three minutes left and they were up by ten. Well, yeah, they scored you know, with three minutes left. But, you know, they were up when they had got the football. There was around five, I think five or six minutes left up by ten. Double-digit leads again. Yep. Uh, this is a fourth, uh, maybe the every game but Minnesota, we've had a double-digit lead. Yep. So um, I, I think it was disappointing because I really felt we were a better team than Arizona, and I still believe that even after that game. I felt we played pretty good at times. I mean, even on defense, and some people are going to go, what? And I go, I'm telling you, we played good in spurts. It's just the key, the really important moment in the games, we didn't. And, you know, I throw someone out there, you know, we've got a third and four, third and five. We're off the field, and they, they call roughing on, on Bobby yeah, Wagner, which yeah. I thought was a horrible call. Um, we were up by 10. They're kicking a field goal. And we line up, you know, illegally. It's a not just a penalty. It's a 15-yard penalty. Yes. And so now they go down and score a touchdown. That compl- that's, to me, that is that is the ball game there because now you're forcing uh, our offense to get two first downs. Tough to do when, when they're really forcing the issue on you, you know, with everybody up in a box and, you know, playing tight man-to-man, coming off the corner. Tough to do. Yeah. Um, we, we shouldn't have lost that game. Even the, the interceptions. Well, the first two interceptions. It didn't even hurt the Seahawks, no. as weird as that is. I mean, that first one, we would have gone up by, what, 20 to 7 at the time. I think it was 13 to 7. All of a sudden, they go all the way down. They don't score. We go right back and score. We yep. drive 95, 96 yards. The next one, same thing. I go, They don't score. They they throw an interception the very next play. So they didn't hurt us other than momentum. You know, you're up 20 to 7. You're really having your way with them. That's a big thing. The, the last one obviously hurt. Yeah. You know, he just misread that. I, I don't want to say it was a simple zone blitz. I actually think what Arizona did, lots of teams run these zone blitzes. They get three linebackers up on line of scrimmage. They drop them. What made that that work is the way they executed on looking up wide receivers. There was nobody to throw to. Yeah. And they had a guy free coming off the corner. Matter of fact, all the sacks really in pressure were a four-man rush from the zone blitzes that they, they thought maybe six or seven guys were coming. So so disappointing bump in that. I thought we played well except for those critical moments. And I just felt like we gave that game away. Yeah, I'm with you with the critical moments, giving the game away, key injuries. Chris Carson goes down. Travis Homer goes down. He would be in that last drive. Poor DJ Dallas, the rookie, trying to pick up blitzes. That's the toughest thing for a rookie running back to do is pick up blitzes. And you hear the way he's responding. He goes, it's not going to happen again. He's going to get better. And then you can ask, okay, why wasn't DK Metcalf 
more involved in the game. I'll tell you why, because you got a guy named Tyler Lockett <laughs> who was doing his thing, so he didn't need to be. And no. then I look at the defense. They didn't do anything special. They were playing him head up. They'd bail and run. There were a couple things that he could have done better. I feel like he was running a post a couple times, and he took an outside release. If, you run, if you're running a post, you're on the outside, you're man up with a corner, you want to get that inside release. It just makes it, makes it more attractive for the quarterback when he sees you, you have inside leverage and you're more open. He ran a lot of crossing routes. I like that they moved him around. He played, played in the slot more this game than I think he has all season. So I don't think it was necessarily something the Cardinals were doing. I just think that the game plan was kind of to feature Tyler Lockett because they felt like they had matchup problems there. Well, 15 catches, 200 yards, there's not a lot to, to go around after that. At what 20-some targets uh, for, for Tyler. Just, again, one of the greatest, if not the great. I, I think it is the greatest Wide receiver game in Seattle history? You told me that on Sunday. I've been backing you up all week. Tell the people why you think it's the greatest performance for Be- receiver. Because, and hopefully I can remember this, NASA, because um, he was one feeding me all the, the notes Sunday. The, the record for the Seahawks is 256 yards, 15 catches by yeah. Steve Largen. It was 1987 versus the Detroit Lions. That was the strike year. And so Steve Largent and Jeff Kemp had crossed the picket line, and they basically played against a strike team of guys who, you know, were probably smoking at halftime <laughs> and, you know, first time they'd worked out in, in years. So I, it was, it was you know, men amongst boys at that, that point. In this case, this was real deal. And a defense that was playing as well as any defense in the league, second le- or, uh, scoring defense in the league, and Tyler Lockett tied a Seahawk record 15 receptions with Steve Largent, who did it against replacement players. Yeah. And he had 200 yards versus, again, a fantastic defense. Steve Largent, the, that's the next uh, closest to that was Steve Largent with 191 yards, I think, uh, against a, a, a real team, I guess. Uh, so, yes, to me, three touchdowns, 200 yards received, 15 receptions. That is the greatest performance of a wide receiver in Seahawk history for one game. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Thank you for being the historian and blessing us with your knowledge because I would have just looked at the record books and been like, all right, lock it number two. But once you put context behind it, it makes a lot more sense. Now, defensively, Shaq went down. With, he's in concussion protocol right now, and Trey Flowers is in the game. People are going to say, well, Trey Flowers was in, so that's why this and that happened. I'm going to say Trey Flowers isn't your best option. Obviously, Shaq is, but also the way that this defense plays is just give you all this cushion and don't take any risk, any chances. That puts a guy like Trey Flowers in a tough position, especially when he's not getting the snaps that he typically was getting. And then, you know, his confidence. He's working on his confidence right now. I think he's more than capable of being a solid corner in this league, but you being a a DB, a safety, you got to have short memory. You got to be able to flush things away, and I think that's what's holding him back right now. Yeah, I was talking earlier with somebody on this. There's so much to pass defense. You know, the way the Seahawks would like to do it, if we're going to go back to 2013-14, you have a fantastic four-man rush. You play a tight umbrella defense. You're playing zone, but I got an umbrella around everybody. But it's tight. It's not loose. So the ball has to come out. And And now you can spot drop your linebackers. You don't have to crowd receivers necessarily. The ball's coming out, so let's just break on the quarterback. That worked, by the way, 20, 30 years ago very well. And it worked really well for the Seahawks in 13 and 14 and to extent 15 because the ball's coming out so quick. Ball's not coming out as quick. And by the way, it's not that the rush is poor. Mm-hmm. 
it's now it's the ball doesn't come out as quick. We're spot dropping. And if I got two and a half, three seconds to throw as a quarterback, man, uh, somebody's going to be open in a zone. And the, the way the zones are today, receivers are no longer taught sit down in a zone. Mm-hmm. They run through a zone. So if you're just spot dropping and he's working behind you, that's just an easy throw, I think, for, for quarterbacks today. So I'm going to get to the Trey Flowers part. Trey, for whatever reason, I thought last year he actually played pretty well. Me too. I thought he, he the end of the year stuff, I know he, there's some noise on that. He has absolutely lost his confidence. He's doing this drop, open up to the inside so he can see the quarterback, and he's bailing out. And then there's sometimes he's bailing out quick where he's got a big cushion. He's eight, ten yards back in a backpedal. Uh, you know, again, so from I'm always cautious. I don't know what they're being told. Are they running linebackers and safeties underneath that outside guy? I, I'm not seeing a lot of that. Um, if they were, I would say, hey, go ahead and play it deep because you, you could have two wide receivers in a, in a stack position. Well, in that case, look, I, I've got some area to cover, so i got to get some depth on that because if i got two guys now start to widen, i got to cover both those. And so depth is important as that. But if I'm playing man-to-man, if I'm getting no help underneath, if it's just a single wide receiver out wide, we have got to challenge these receivers more, even in a zone. And it's got to be trust in the pass rush. It's got to be trust in the secondary. It's got to be trust with the linebackers. And I would just say two out of ten plays, there's a bust. There's a guy that's not in the right position or they're not looking up a receiver properly or there's too much time to run these deep crosses. It's just got to all clean up or – we're going to have a really good record. We're going to have a, we're going to struggle when we get to playoff time. There's a phrase that comes to mind when you talk about that spot drop. No more spot dropping. You got to drop and find work. It almost turns into a man. If that receiver is anywhere near your zone, find some work, jump on top of them. So now we got the 49ers coming up next week or this week I should say and now we will get to talk to Chris Bitterman from the Sacramento Bee coming up next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks live every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Hawks live every Thursday at 7 right here on 710 ESPN. I'm hanging out with my golf, my guy, Paul Moyer. By the way, do you know who this is? Yes. Yeah, star Boy? It's the weekend. I know. I, oh, but you got it. Let's go, Paul. I, look. My bad. I didn't give you a chance to... to to take the lead. Man, I apologize. I finally got one. Got one. Okay, I just check Okay, I'm going to Everyone, I'm, I'm ready. This, You're ready? Today. Okay. Yes. All right, guys. Yeah. Paul says he's ready. But now we get to talk to Chris Biederman. Chris, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Yeah, I apologize. You know, me and my guy here, get, <laughs> we get a, little, get a little amped up every now and then. But let's talk about these 49ers. I'm not going to lie. Niners came out, took a loss to the Cardinals. Uh bunch of injuries this year found a way to bounce back and then as last week you suffer some more injuries what's the morale of this football team right now i mean the morale is always is always pretty good with these guys they, they tend to keep it pretty loose and, and any team that's led by george kittle is is gonna have a light way about them i guess and coming off two wins um and probably their most impressive win of the season on sunday in new england um the, the team's feeling pretty good and and particularly, you know, much better than they did the previous two games that losing to Philadelphia with, with uh, their backup quarterback, Nick Mullins, and then following that up with uh, an, a complete egg against uh, the Miami Dolphins. And a, a lot of players and coaches have said they were embarrassed by that game to, to come back and, 
and win two straight, um, one over the Rams, who were 4-1 and one at the time, and then to, to go to New England and win a game. Uh, to kick off a stretch that that's really their toughest stretch of the season. I think the 49ers are are feeling like they're they're pretty in a good they're they're in a pretty good spot right now. Um, and and you know the design of of the season I think with with the pandemic and and not having a preseason was um, was sort of be to be peaking around this time. Uh, you know as as the stretch run approaches and even though the 49ers are dealing with a ton of injuries, they are. Still in the playoff mix, and uh, and a win over Seattle could could really keep their playoff hopes alive here. You know, it is interesting. Uh, the NFC West really they've played an easy schedule. The Seahawks have, Arizona has, you know, yeah. San Francisco. Partly because the NFC East and and part of the AFC East as well, who have really struggled. So so now move forward because I'm not sure really what the Seahawks are yet. I, I, we're going to find out in the next four games. Um, I think San Francisco as well. But is San Francisco are are you deep enough to withstand these next four or five games with the injury bug? I mean, if the injuries stop, yeah, if the injuries stop, I think they're they're going to have a chance. Um, if they keep getting injuries, which is happening every week now, there really hasn't been a game all year where where they haven't come out of it with with some sort of significant injury question to to a starter or multiple starters. Then I, then I think they could potentially make a run. Their their bye week is week ten um, in in late November, and that's when they when they expect to get E Ford and potentially Richard Sherman back. Um, from their injuries uh, as of right now. Um, and getting those two guys back while the team continues to get a little bit healthier heading into this weekend and, and Thursday's game against the Packers, which is also a big one that the team is trying to prepare some, some guys for who aren't going to play on Sunday. But, um, you know, they the the injuries, it, they can, given that they still have the, the fifth-ranked def- defense in the league right now, I think it's pretty remarkable, although they haven't played a great slate of opponents, as you mentioned. Um, so they're treading water right now, and they're hoping that if, if they can last um, a, a, you know three or four more weeks um, and not get decimated by more injuries, then they could be a pretty healthy and potentially dangerous team in, in December when, um, you know, when that will really ultimately decide their, their playoff fate. Chris, Jimmy Garoppolo is back, but last week the run game kind of got you guys going. Four touchdowns, Jimmy threw two interceptions. Is this the time of the year where Jimmy's going to have to take the lead and lead this ball club because of all the injuries you guys have had at that running back spot? Yeah, potentially. I mean, the odd thing is about the 49ers running backs, you never really know um, who Kyle Shanahan's going to rely on, and more times than not, he's found success. With, with an array of running backs, no matter um, who has been healthy and who hasn't. Uh, last week, nobody at this time, nobody was expecting Jeff Wilson Jr. to, to play, let alone be a key ch- contributor. And then he comes out and has 100, uh, 112 yards and three touchdowns before leaving that game in the third quarter. Um, and so the 49ers are getting Tevin Coleman back, um, who Kyle Shanahan has relied on heavily as a starter over the last uh, couple years. So having Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, and, and the new undrafted rookie, Jamichael Hasty, who's, who's flashed at times and, and shown some pretty promising things, um, I think the 49ers feel like they'll be able to run the ball. And, and um, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's sort of the basis for their offense, is, is even if the running game isn't working effectively, they can at least use it to, to set up play action and, and create space by using misdirection and, and all sorts of other things. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, at some point, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to win a shootout uh, like we saw, at, at, you know, in the second half of last season in particular. He certainly hasn't done that yet. Uh, I think he's something of like one of 10 on, on passes 20 yards downfield or deeper. 
Um, so that's clearly a, a part of the offense that's missing right now, but the 49ers haven't needed it recently because of the injuries. But as you pointed out, it, it is certainly a question mark now that the team has lost Raheem Mostert, um, their top running back for a while uh, with a high ankle sprain. And then Jeff Wilson Jr. just had a high ankle sprain. Um, you know, it's it, it's not a big name group at, by any means, but they have been productive, and, and this will just be a new challenge for Kyle Shanahan on Sunday. Traditionally, these two teams uh, like to run the football, win, win on defense. Uh, the Seahawks are going through, you know, a transformation. We're, we're certainly throwing it. But defensively, you know, they, these two teams kind of had the same philosophy, like three deep zone, like man, single free. But I really was, you know, relying on a fantastic pass rush. Seahawks are having to adapt adapt to that and and haven't had a lot of success i was shocked at san francisco and, and again i know they've had injuries but only i think 11 maybe 12 sacks this year have have they changed at all what they're doing you know from at least a pass defense with maybe not as dominant a, a, a pass rush they've had in the past no i i think last year their, their their defense is still the same as it was last year the issue is i mean losing nick bosa in the first quarter of week two for the season hurt solomon thomas who hasn't been um, certainly not one of their most productive defensive linemen, but losing him, he was the third overall pick in 2017. He was supposed to be their starting three technique. Um, and then D Ford has been out since week one with, with a back injury and DeForest Buckner, their, their star defensive tackle from, from the last four seasons was traded to the Colts. Um, and in his place, you have a rookie Javon Kinwa, who's shown signs of promise, but, um, you know, isn't going to be somebody who's, who's threatening for double digit sacks, at least this season. Um, and maybe not even next season, but you know the 49ers really are down their their three best pass rushers from last season. Eric Armstead's still around, but he has to play defensive end because Bosa and Ford are out, and Armstead's really a better pass rusher from the inside. Um, so it's it's been a it's been a lot of factors leading into it. The fact that the the pass rush isn't nearly as good as it was last year, but um, from a schematic standpoint, philosophical standpoint, the the defense is, is still the same. They're just they're just not getting after the quarterback at the same rate they were last year. Chris, when I watch film, I look at this defense. Number 54 jumps out to me. Um, how good is this kid, and how much better has he gotten from last year? Yeah, so coordinator Robert Sala, who was a, uh, a qual- a, an assistant working with linebackers with the Seahawks when Bobby Wagner was drafted, he, he said um, that they basically have, a, have the same exact, like, exactly the same mindset and same personality. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Wagner is somebody that Warner's watched for a long time and particularly coming to this defense now, um, which is very similar to, to the Seahawks. He's, you know, he's, he's sort of viewed Wagner as, as a, an, an idol from far away, I guess, or, um, but they have, you know, they haven't had a, a super close relationship yet. Fred Warner's talked to, talked to him at different points on social media and stuff. But yeah, Warner's really good. He, he came in and started as a rookie. Um, he's been the plate. He's been the, uh, he has a green dot in the helmet. He's had that since his first game. He's never missed a game, uh, due to injury. Um, and he's just, you know, I don't know if you guys watched the, the Tony Romo just gush about him. Tony Romo is calling him, was calling him the best linebacker he's watched on film all season. Um, and he's not like a big something guy like you would think the 49ers have had with, you know, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. Um, he's much more of a uh, of a smooth athlete and, and somebody who might be better in coverage than those guys. And you know, if you watched last week's game, you'd see him mirroring mirroring Julian Edelman um, over the middle of the field. He, he covers linebackers generally pretty well, and and he's just always 
he sort of, you know, with all the injuries the 49ers have had, including the Richard Sherman, by the way, um, you know, Fred Warner has been the constant in the defense and really the reason I think that, that the defense has been able to stick together um, because, you know, even last year when they had so much star power, it was still Warner getting everybody lined up, um, you know, pulling the strings, adjusting to quarterback audibles, um, you know, before the snap and, and things like that. Warner's just been, and, you know, and, and Robert Sala says he's, He's definitely, um, you know, the smartest pre-draft uh, prospect he's ever interviewed, uh, which is which has sort of been a thing a lot of people have said about Warner since I've been covering him. So, um, yeah, I think he, he's just he's a really good player. He's sort of the engine and the leader out there right now, and and they might be in a uh, you know in a really bad place if they didn't have him, um, just given all the injuries that they have and and how well he's held things together. Held things together. Well, Chris, I expect nothing less than another battle between these two organizations, man. I appreciate you taking time out of your day and giving us some knowledge. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks. No problem. All right, Paul, we get to talk to a defensive player this this week. We've done a lot of offensive guys, but coming up next, we get to talk to rookie linebacker Jordan Brooks. He played right well. Here. He did. Hawks live. Hawks live every Thursday from 7 to 9 live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks live every Thursday right here on 710 ESPN. Paul Moyer, who sings a song? Oh, come on, man. Everybody know. Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne, let's yep. go. Two for two. two. Paul is in the zone. Well, my kids were home for a couple weeks, so they, they I got some brushed up. Paul's ready to go. Yeah. You know who's ready to go? I do, and he played unbelievable last week, so I'm excited we got him on the show. Jordan Brooks, how you doing, man? I'm doing fine, man. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. Now, before we get into all this football stuff, I see you from H-Town, man. H-Town put out some rappers. Who's your favorite rapper from H-Town? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Put me on the spot. Everyone from Houston, I'd probably have to say uh, Zero. Zero. He's a legend in the city. You gotta go. What if he said, "I look, I'm in the country. Uh, I don't do rap." That would have thrown you off there, Bob. Then I would ask him who his favorite country <laughs> artist is. You know, uh, Jordan. By the way, congratulations last week. I, you know, no, the victory wasn't there for you guys, but you you played well. And uh, you know, what, what's interesting about rookies is, and we've all gone through this, and that. We think, you know, we don't get to react. We're, we're thinking about our reads and everything. Last week, you looked like you were reacting. Uh, it felt like a huge jump from just the first game you played to where you were today. How, how did that feel for you in this game? Felt good. Um, you know, it, it all started two weeks prior. You know, just the time I had being hurt and in the bye week, you know, I, I got an extra week to prepare. Um, and then also during the week, you know, uh, Bobby KJ, my coaches, everybody was just, you know, on board as far as just helping me, you know, with the playbook, helping me with the plays and, and, uh, what to look out for and what to expect. And, uh, I just felt prepared going into the game. You know, Jordan, coming, uh, into this draft and when the Seahawks uh, picked you up, everybody said, well, they don't know if he can play pass defense or, or cover. And it was mainly because of the scheme you were at Texas Tech. And, you know, I would say, well, He's, he's certainly athletic enough, and he's a good football player. He'll figure it out. What, what impressed me the most last week watching you was how you were 
picking up receivers in the passing game in the zone and and reading reading routes uh is, is one is that more comfortable to you now or is this still a, a bit of a learning progress for you no it's definitely something that just comes natural you know i didn't do it a lot at tech but i've been playing football my whole life you know it all starts uh backyard football you know you playing safety you playing cornerback you playing quarterback playing everything so it's something that's just natural it's just something i wasn't doing in college so you know people raise their eyebrows raise questions or whatnot but uh if something comes natural, um, I'm definitely capable of doing it and um, just try to continue to get better. How are your hands? You got good hands, so when the ball hits your mitts, are you catching it and going the distance? Oh, yeah, for sure. I used to play running back, so I'm trying to get me a, uh, trying to get me an interception and show off some skills there. Paul, all the great athletes play running back at some point in their career, right? Uh, Jordan, what do you feel is the best part of your game right now? And then what do you feel like you need to work on? Uh, the best part, um, that's a tricky question as well. I'll probably say just, you know, tackling, you know, I, I think I'm a, I'm a, a really good tackler. Um, finding the ball and seeing where the ball is, is, is my strength. As far as getting better is just, um, just knowing what to expect out of certain formations that, um, you know, whatever team we're playing, what they give us. Um, and that's going to come with time and, and, and more preparation. So, you know, continue to do that, continue to study and get better in that area. You guys have uh, played six games in a bye week at seven games, and then you throw in, you know, multiple weeks of, of camp. Usually rookies about this time, that's about a full college season. Um, how are you doing, Juan? Just just from the mental standpoint, that you know, staying in it, not getting too tired, and and also physically. Yeah, um, I think you just gotta you gotta take it day by day. Um, like you said, it's, it's it's a lot of games left. You know, at the what are we six weeks, seven weeks in? Um, just gotta take it day by day. Take care of your body and uh, continue continue to prepare. Hey, Jordan, I'm from California. My first time coming up to Washington was when I went to college, and it was a, an adjustment for me with the weather, the rain, or whatnot. My buddy used to live in Houston. He said this rain ain't none. He used to rain puddles in Houston is what, what he said when he's down there. How, how's it been adjusting to the Northwest? It's been nice. You know, I can appreciate this weather coming from Houston. It's a lot of humidity, um, it's a lot of heat. You don't get the four seasons that you do up here, so – it's been a big climate change for me, but I enjoy it. You know, uh, I'm seeing mountains, trees, lakes, things I'm not accustomed to seeing. So I love it up here. Um, so, yeah, it's been good for me. Well, you know, Texas is known for particularly high school football, Friday night lights. Uh, both my kids, uh, they're, they're, they're just 30 and 29, but they moved to Dallas a year ago. And uh, mm-hmm. what, what is better football? Is it in Dallas or is it in Houston? I don't want to get in trouble here. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a serious that's a serious rivalry, um, a big debate in Texas whether it's Dallas or Houston. I, I really can't tell. You. I gotta say it's even. I gotta say it's even. There you go. It's a lot that's of talent in both cities. That's a good call because my kids now, they're starting to look to have kids. They, they said, you better pick a good high school with good football. I, I'm not coming there watching anybody go 2-8 and eight or something. That's not going to happen. So. Hey, Jordan, what's it been like 
learning from Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright? It's been great. Um, you know, I, I tell my family all the time, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm blessed to be where I am. Uh, unlike college, you know, I, I started my freshman year, but I got thrown into the fire. Didn't have any veteran leaders to, to kind of help me get to where I needed to be, you know, as a linebacker. You know, coming into my rookie year, I, I've got the luxury of having uh, Bobby and KJ as mentors and also, you know, kind of as coaches, you know. They know just as much as information as the coaches do. They've been playing for a long time. So every day, you know, I'm picking their brain. Um, you know, they're giving me tips and pointers on what to expect out of a certain call or a certain play or anything like that. And um, they've been real helpful to me. Um, so, you know, the sky's the limit. Jordan, as a, as a rookie, uh, you know, Monday nights, usually you got Monday night off, Tuesday's your, your day off. We I used to like to go bowling. I just wanted to get away and do something and get out of the house. You, you guys are in a different time with this pandemic and not really being able to go anywhere. So so two quick questions for one, what do you do now in your, your time off? And what would you love to be doing or what would you be doing if you're away from football and we didn't have this pandemic? Yeah, I tell people all the time, the pandemic, you know, it's not that much different for me because I don't do anything anyways. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the house probably 90% of the time unless I'm getting out to get gas or get food. So I'm in the house resting on a Monday, um, recovering, uh, studying, and uh, watching movies. <laughs> All right, Jordan, we'll keep studying, keep balling, do what you do, young fella. We appreciate you taking time out of your day. Appreciate y'all having me. All right, we got you covered all things Seahawks in the NFL. As a professor, John Clayton joins us next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Oh, you hear that? Who's that, Paul? That's you know who James that is. Brown. This is that's just on the button at seven forty-five. Seven forty-five. You hear James Brown? Yeah. You hear some funk? We're talking. About three for three today. Three for three today, Paul. Let's go, Clayton. How you doing, man? It's great when I hear the music. Anytime I hear JB, I love it. <laughs> love it. All right, Clayton. I talked to you earlier today, and you asked me this question, so I'm going to flip it right back to you. How good is Dunlap? And is he going to be the difference in this defense? I don't know about difference, but I think he's going to help. Because, you know, the, the, the thing that's interesting, I talked to K.J. Wright today. And what K.J. was able to say, and you'll be able to hear the interview tomorrow uh, between probably at 11 o'clock, <clears throat> is that, you know, they, they're using a little bit more of the nine technique, which is kind of unique, which that's like the, the Jeff Fisher type of uh, line where they have everybody outside the tackles. And you look at Dunlap. And he fits that role, even though he's 6'6", 285 pounds, because he can play on the edge. And so you have Benson Mayoa, and you have now Dunlap, who next week against Buffalo can come into the mix and be on that edge. And I think that's going to be huge, because you think 6'6", 285, that's a five technique. He's coming in for uh, you know L.J. Collier. But no, I think that you know he can be in the mix, because now you have a double duo type of guy that uh, can be over at the Leo position and do some good things. And so I really like this acquisition. I mean, he's got 82 and a half sacks. He's the second best pass rusher in Bengals history, which I think is great. 
good person. And it's like one of the things with him is that he's gone through all these years since 2010, and you've never heard much about him. And the reason is, first off, he's on the Bengals, and nobody cares about the Bengals, but also the fact he's never caused a problem. He's a good guy in the locker room. He's a good leader. This is a good fit. You know, I don't know. I can't compare it to the trade for Dwayne Brown, but there's a similarity right there that I think can really help this defensive line. Well, you asked part of my question, and and what kind of guy is he? The other is, can he still play? Yeah, uh, you know, he wasn't getting a lot of reps, um, but does he still have? I mean, look, he was Pro Bowler a few years ago. Yeah. Does he does he still have that potential? Well, again, pre- Pro Bowl potential, no. I mean, he was in the Pro Bowl two fifteen two sixteen, but. He can come in and it's like, say what you want. I mean, you know, since going to the Pro Bowl, he's averaged like seven sacks a a year. So maybe that's not the best. And again, it's not like it's a Bengal team that after five years, because remember, they went from 2011 to 2015 with five straight trips to uh, the playoffs, you know, with Andy Dalton at quarterback. And since then, the whole team has dropped off. And when you drop off and you're all of a sudden trailing in these games, you're not going to get the sacks because you're going to be playing from behind. So, no, I think that, I mean, he, he was a good acquisition. And you think about how cheap it really became as far as that acquisition. Okay, so basically you can say, okay, they got him for a seventh-round pick, but – they were able to pick up the contract in Cincinnati with B.J. Finney, you know, who was making a two-year, seven, uh, $7 million contract, wasn't working out here, and they needed somebody because they have four guys on the offensive line that are injured. And so they took the Finney contract out of the Seahawks' uh, cap number, and I think that is huge. So really, you get him for virtually nothing. They still have to work some things out under the cap. But no, it's like you get a guy. Is he a Pro Bowl guy now? No. Is he a guy that can help? Absolutely. John, were you surprised that they were, I guess I don't want to say were willing to take Finney. Obviously, Cincinnati, you know, they played against Pittsburgh a bunch, knew knew about him, probably thinks he can obviously still play. But that trade doesn't work unless we get the same type of salary off of our cap mm-hmm. uh, as we get. Is that correct? Yeah, but uh, there's still about a $2 million plus difference that they have to make up and figure out before, you know, because right now he goes on the exempt list and they have, you know, five, six days to figure this out, whether it's to trade somebody to open up cap room or restructure a contract. So they still have time to do that. But no, I'm not surprised at all. And the reason I say I'm not surprised, you know, because again, I'll tell you, it's like if I can't figure it out, it's a total surprise. But I know I was on with Danny and Gallant and in the morning because I had figured it out the night before, it's like, you know, it's tough because, you know, Danny, everybody else is asking, you know, can they take on this big, because he has, he's on a $13 million a year contract. Can they take that contract on? You go, no, but it's like, okay. But, you know, the the Bengals have four offensive linemen injured this week and he can't help this week, but some of those injuries are going to carry into next week. So they needed somebody. They're going to sign Quentin Spain, who was cut by Buffalo at a $5 million a year contract. And now it's like Finney, They've seen more of Finney than the Seahawks have seen more of Finney. Because remember, you know, he's played in Pittsburgh. And, of course, in Pittsburgh, they play uh, the Steelers, the Bengals do two times a year. So they've seen more of him than the Seahawks have seen of him on the field. And so it's like they feel confident enough that it's like, okay, we can use this guy because he can either start or back up and really help this team out on the offensive line. John, I know how much you like talking about uniforms, but I'm going to talk about post-game fashion. (laughs) Jeff Garcia 
went in on Cam Newton about what he wears after the game and this and that. Is that fair? Should he focus on his play or focus on his attire? I, I, I'll go with Jeff on this one because, I mean, Jeff has been such a good quarterback in the league, and the attire is just brutal. I mean, I don't know. When you, when you look at Cam Newton, I know that Saturday is going to be you know, Halloween, and it's a different Halloween because I don't know if people are going to be out knocking on doors trying to get candy and all that stuff. But it's like you look at Cam Newton's outfits, and it almost looks like it's Halloween every day that he comes to a game. And it's like it's, it's a little bit too much. I, uh, you know, it's like it's nice that he can be able to do that. You know, he's made enough money in his career he can afford it. But it's like uh, I, I'll side with Garcia on this one. John, he's just keeping it funky. You of all people should know about the funky no, it's like, attire, like, man. But, but, but no, let's put it this way: what I look at with him, it's not funky. Clinton Portis, when he was with Washington and Denver and all that stuff, he wore funky stuff. And that's what I like about Clinton Portis, because he was into the funk. Because, I mean, you look at that. I mean, you look at Cam Newton's outfits. Is that funk? I don't think so. I'll take your word for it. John, if we're healthy, if we have Carson and Hyde and Homer and Jamal Adams and Griffin, I'm feeling really good about this game this week. Yeah, I would too. But, again, it doesn't look good for Carson because he didn't practice today questionable right now on Hyde. He didn't practice today. Jamal Adams didn't practice today. That doesn't look good. So I think that puts the question in your mind, but also you have to look at it on the San Francisco side because the 49ers, okay, is is uh, Sherman going to be back? No. Uh, is Tart going to be back at safety? No. Uh, what? Are, where are they at running back? I mean, you know, they have Jared McKinnon, but that's about it because I think they'll get Telvin Coleman back because he's on injury reserve, and it looks like he has a chance to come back. But Jeff Willis had to go on IR, because, or at least he's not going to be out for you know three to five weeks because he's got the high ankle sprain. And Moser, their best running back, you know, he's on IR. So it's like both teams are in bad shape as far as injuries, but the 49ers, I still contend, are in worse shape than the Seahawks. All right, John, you know what time it is. Yeah. This is your segment. What do you want to talk about? Well, again, it's like, you know, it would, and the question is what people don't ask me. And I was going through some of the stats today, and we're talking about the offensive line. And is there an improvement on the offensive line, even though Russell Wilson is getting getting three sacks a game? And the answer is yes. Now, again, I keep on saying and have been saying for weeks that uh, according to ESPN analytics, based on next-gen stats, that they're only, I mean, they're, the, the win rate on pass blocking is uh, you know, among the fifth or sixth best in the league. Well, I was going through the stats today, and I can't find a Seahawk offensive lineman who's given up more than one and a half sacks. We're six weeks into the season. Six weeks. No offensive lineman on this team has given up more than one and a half sacks. That's incredible. And again, uh, a lot of the sacks happen because either coverage sacks Russell rolling out and doing that stuff. Again, he's had 18 sacks this year. But again, not many of them can totally be attributed to the offensive line. That's what people haven't asked me. John, Trevor Lawrence sounds like he's contemplating staying one more year to avoid being drafted by the Jets. Is that a good move? Me, I'm taking the money, John. I'm getting drafted. He'll take the money. I mean, you know, again, he answered the question as 
correctly as he could. I mean, here's a guy at Clemson who ironically finds out after he made those comments that he tested positive for COVID and how it's going to miss some time. But uh, he didn't know that when he was saying these comments. But he said, well, uh, I don't know. I still have time to make that decision. I'm not going to make the decision now. And everybody immediately, oh, he doesn't want to be a jet. Well, let's put it this way. It's the New York market. They can make a lot of money in the New York market. Joe Burrow had Jordan Palmer, Carson Palmer's brother, you know, coaching him up to get him ready for the draft and all that stuff. And his father goes on Toronto radio and says, I don't want him to go to Cincinnati. They're a bad franchise. Carson Palmer told me that from what he told Car- uh, Jordan Palmer and all that stuff. But in the end, Joe Burrow made a decision. It's like, I don't care about that stuff. I'll hold off. I'll wait. And then it says, I'm going to go to the Bengals. Now, again, he's been great with the Bengals. He's one of the leading candidates for rookie of the year. But also, too, he's getting battered because probably Jordan, his father, and Carson were right. But uh, I I think this was just a a politically good statement to say, I'm going to wait. I don't have to make the decision now here in in, in October. Well, he's a smart kid. You are a smart man. And as always, John Clayton. I'll see you next time. Keep it funky, baby. Keep it funky. All right. Coming up next, we turn up the heat a little bit. Two men enter, but there can only be one winner. We debut our newest segment, Talk That Talk Straight Ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's Hawks Live.